Okay, our scripture can be found on the back of the bulletin. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. Uh, I preached on, uh, well, 19 through 23 was last uh, uh, Sunday, but I included that. We're going to focus on 24 through 27. And Paul has been speaking of the freedoms that he has as a believer, as an apostle, that he has given up in order uh, to not put any obstacle in front of people believing in Christ. Hear these words from the scriptures. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And now the passage we're going to examine. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should not, uh, my myself should be disqualified. The word of the Lord. It was October 30th, 2004, when I was gathered in D.C. with 19,000 of my closest friends to run the Marine Corps Marathon. Uh, it was a tense time. It was a hot day. And it was a tense time because I was going to try to do something I had never done before, which was qualify for the Boston Marathon which I needed to run a marathon in three hours and 10 minutes in order to do. That is seven minutes and 10 seconds a mile. I only needed to reel off 26 of those and all would be well. <laughs> However, my training had been plagued with problems. I was nursing somewhat of a cold and it was a hot day, but I went for it. And all was seeming fine until mile 12 and then 13, and then 14, and I hit the proverbial wall. My body just gave out. I wasn't ready for whatever reason to meet that goal. And I found myself either saying, I'm going to step aside here, or I'm going to try to push on. And I tried to push on, but ended up walking pretty much the rest of the way, finishing in over four hours in extreme pain. It was at the end of that race that I had a choice to quit my goal to qualify for Boston or to redouble my efforts and to try again. Christianity, like the marathon, is a race, and it's certainly not a sprint. There's a start in which we're called to follow Jesus. There's a finish line in which our race ends when we pass from this earth or when Christ comes again, and there is a long, arduous middle. Sometimes 
that race in the middle is wonderful and the crowds are cheering and you feel like you're floating on air. And other times it's struggling and trudging and looking to hold on. All of us, if you are a follower in Christ, are running that race. Perhaps you're here as a spectator wanting to hear more about what it means to follow Christ and we're glad you are. But some of you are brand new in the faith. And some of you have been running a long time. It's 34 years for me. But the question we have to ask is this. How do we win this race? How do we finish? How do we keep the faith instead of falling by the wayside and giving up? See, the truth of the matter, my friends, is this. That left to ourselves, we will drop out. But one who we believe in, has already ran the race. Jesus Christ, and he has placed us in this race and promises to be with us to the end. And so we must look to Jesus, the author and champion of our faith, for he finished the race so that we would be able to finish ours. As Christ ran this race with passion for us, he calls us to run with the same passion. And so the only proper response to Christ's devotion to us is wholehearted devotion to him. So we're going to look at this passage and what Paul is saying. And Paul is really touching on two critical points to run and finish this race. Number one, you've got to get serious. And number two, you've got to get focused. Let's look at the first point. You've got to get serious. Paul is speaking to the church that he founded in Corinth. And they're believers in Christ, but they are not acting as they should. They continue to be captivated by the world, living in the ways that they used to, enslaved to ambition and the idols of their culture. As a result, they're living self-centered lives, so much so that they are not caring for others in their congregation. They're only thinking of themselves. And so Paul, in admonishing them and encouraging them, is alluding to his life and how he has chosen to live it, the race that he has chosen to run. Instead of a self-centered life, Paul is saying that we are called to a Christ-centered life, that I do need to care and watch out for my brother, my weaker brother in Christ, that even though I have all of these rights and freedoms in Christ, I'm not to make use of them if I have the opportunity to help others along in their faith or to come to faith. Paul talks about the Christian life now, and he uses this analogy with the Corinthians of a race. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, this analogy would have hit home with the Corinthians because the Corinthians sponsored what was called the Isthmian Games. There were the Olympic Games back then. They were held every four years. But every two years, the Isthmian Games were held as well in the city of Corinth. And many of those who ran, participated in the Olympics, participated in these games. And what Paul is saying is that entering into the race and even running in the race does not guarantee victory. Only the one who is the fastest, only the one who wanted it most 
is the one who will receive the crown. There were no ribbons for second or third. There were no podium finishes. It was all or nothing. And so Paul is saying, run this Christian race so that you may obtain the prize, that you may finish. It's a mentality that he's talking about. See, you can run a race not to win it. In fact, that was most of the races I ran, even the one in the Marine Corps. Because there was this group of runners known as the Kenyans, right? And it did not matter how hard I trained. There was no way that I was going to beat the Kenyans. But Paul is saying something very interesting. Paul is saying in the Christian race that you can win, in fact, you will win if you run with the mentality to win. See, when I was running the Marine Corps in 2004, I was going to give everything, leave it on the mat, but I was not going to win. But Paul is saying, if you have that mentality, you will win. See, Paul is using the analogy of a running race because there were no team sports back then. There was only individual sports. And so he's using the analogy that they could understand. But he's speaking to the Corinthians, right? He's speaking to an entire church, saying that all of us are to run the race and all of us can win if we run with all of our hearts. In a race, you can tell who is running to win and who is not. I don't know if you've ever run the rock and roll half marathon. I ran it about five or six times. And it's a big party. You know, they've got bands at every single thing. There's a lot of people, they come out in costumes. You know, so there'd be someone in a bumblebee outfit, right? There would be a Wonder Woman would have come out to run, as well as Elvis. Now, I need to tell you, the Kenyans were not wearing a bumblebee outfit <laughs> or an Elvis outfit. Because the average Joe was focused on having a good time, and the Kenyan was focused on the finish line. Paul is saying to us, get serious. You will win if you get serious. In America, we tend to downplay the seriousness of the call of Jesus to run the race of faith. Remember the story of the rich young ruler who runs up to Jesus saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him to obey the commandments, and he says, I've done these, which is kind of funny. But Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. And you will have treasure in heaven. And the man couldn't do it because his riches were his God. He wanted his God and his other God. Now, does it mean that if I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, I need to go empty my bank account and give everything away? I'm not saying it does, but I'm not saying it doesn't. What he is saying is, to follow me, you sign over everything you have, everything you are, your hopes, your ambitions, you place in my hand. 
For the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found treasure in a field and went and sold everything he had, and he bought that field. Jesus tells a parable of a king who threw a feast for his son, his son in Matthew 22, 8, and he invited all of these people and none of them wanted to come. And so the king told the servants, go out and find whoever, the good and the bad, those who weren't invited and bring them in. And so they were all gathered. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. And the king said, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. See, he invited those who did not deserve to come. I don't know if you've ever uh, invited someone to a wedding, compiled a wedding list, right? And every name counts because every single person costs a lot of money. And so what do you do? You start going through the list and going, does this person mean that much to me? Right? But that's exactly what the king said. Bring them in. Now we look at the story and we think, well, he had no wedding clothes. Is it his fault because he was poor? That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, just before Jesus has said, look, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering ahead of you because they hear the message and they repent and they believe. No, the king provided everything for the people that were in the wedding. This person who was at the wedding, we know one thing, that he was not there for the son. He was not there to honor the son, which the king had thrown the wedding feast for. See, he was in the room, but he wasn't serious. Few are chosen, those who are all in. Do you know that more health accidents happen in a half marathon than in a marathon? That doesn't make any sense, right? A marathon's 26 miles, a half marathon's 13. You should have twice the number of injuries. But it doesn't happen that way. And here's why. Because a lot of people think, oh, it's only 13 miles. I can do this. And so they don't train. They don't adequately prepare for what is a very, very difficult race. But it takes a very, very, very big fool to say, oh, it's only 26 miles. There's no need to train. And so people go out in their bumblebee outfit and it's 90 degrees outside, and lo and behold, disaster strikes. See, if you're running the Christian race, you've got to get serious. Jesus calls for nothing less than my whole heart and life, to shape my life around him and his interests and his kingdom, not my own. So what attitude do you and I bring to our Christianity? Do we seek him daily to get to know him? When was the last time you just picked up your Bible and read it to know about Jesus Christ and what he says? Jesus says to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. As you and I look back on our days this week, was it about pleasing him 
Or was it about pleasing myself? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. What a shocking picture of what it means to follow Christ. So when was the last time that I sacrificed for him? With my time, my money, my agenda. In other words, if someone accused you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? We must take Jesus' call seriously. For if we're not willing to put him first in our life, if we're not willing to place his kingdom above our own, if we're not willing to take up our cross and follow him, we are not going to finish the race. So either get serious or drop out. Because the only response to Christ's devotion to us is wholehearted devotion to him. Well, if you're going to get serious, you've got to get focused. What is Paul saying that spurs him on, that would spur us on to live this kind of serious, focused life? And the answer is the prize. It's the prize that motivates Paul. And it will be the prize that motivates us. Have you ever noticed that highly motivated people are highly disciplined people? Let me give you an example. My kids, when they're younger, they're lazing around, not doing anything. And then all of a sudden, there's something that they want. They want to buy it. For some reason, it's gotten in their head that they have to have it. All of a sudden, they spring out of bed. They find my lawnmower. They head out. They start clipping bushes and seeking to mow lawns and looking for jobs, doing whatever it takes in order to accumulate money because they have to have it. They are highly motivated, and so they become highly disciplined. Paul is highly motivated. We see here that though I'm free from all, I've made myself the slave of all, that I might win some. What is the prize that has got a hold of Paul's heart? This is how Paul describes himself in Philippians 3, 7, the secret of the prize that Paul is running for. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. See, Paul did have a zeal and motivation before he met Christ, didn't he? Right? He was running around and he was arresting Christians. But what was Paul's motivation? Paul's motivation was fear. I need to be righteous or else. I need to toe the company line. I need to amass enough what he considered good works or I will not finish. 
See, here's the truth. Fear is not a great long-term motivator. And neither is guilt or shame. It's not enough to sustain you when things get hard. And for some of us, that's our motivation for Christianity. I got to clean up my act. I got to clean my nose. I got to stop doing that. I better start doing this or else. But Paul, in his encounter with Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus, discovered that there is a righteousness that can be found not on his own efforts, but through the record of Jesus who lived and died and paid his debt, that he might become righteous through believing in Christ and not in himself. Paul experienced the approval of God, the adoption into the family of God, and a relationship with the one who made him, Jesus Christ, the one who would love him enough to die in his place. And he fell in love. And as a result, he was willing to give up all to take hold of this one who took hold of him. And that's exactly what happened to his life, right? Because as soon as he started proclaiming Christ, he lost everything. His influence, his titles, his future, all gone. But Paul said, I consider that garbage in comparison to having Christ. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And thy life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul finishes in uh, uh, Philippians 3.13 saying, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, meaning all that I hope for, all that I desire, I'm still running the race just like us. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's just like us, highly motivated because he has a picture of the prize that he holds on to by faith. That in the end, he will be resurrected that he will know Christ and the Father and be with them and live by sight and not by faith, that he will be an inheritor of the kingdom of God, which is coming. That was the attitude of Paul. It was the attitude of the apostles in Acts 5. Remember, they proclaimed Christ and the Sanhedrin brought them in and whipped them and told them, don't speak about Christ again or else. And they left, and it said they rejoiced, counting themselves worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. What kind of joy is it that counts it a blessing to suffer? It's the prize. And it's the prize for us. See, we can say, oh, I hear about Paul and these apostles. I've got to have more discipline. I've got to clean up my act. I want to be like those guys. But that won't last because it's not a worthy goal. The goal is your own glory in that situation. What you need to lay hold of is the prize. Jesus Christ, 
who was sent by God the Father, who died for our sakes and calls us to a new life and provides us with unfailing love moment by moment. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. You ever find it interesting that Jesus chose the cross as the symbol of Christianity? It's a symbol of execution. In the Roman world, it's a symbol of shame, right? I think he did that so we would see the depths of his love. But the only way we can see the depths of his love is if we have the understanding that that cross was meant for me. Those nails were meant to go in my wrists. That crown of thorn was meant to go on my head. The mocking and derision and humiliation and failure was meant for me. See, you cannot know that the cross was done for you until you know that the cross was done by you. Because Christ has saved us and made us inheritors of the kingdom, it is advancing. And we will inherit it if we don't give up. Imagine that you're an employee of Apple, the company. You work for Apple for 20 years. And then you discover that you were the progeny of Steve Jobs and didn't know it. And you stand to inherit Apple. How do you think your mindset would change when you went to work the next day? Before you were an employee, right? You go in, you punch your clock, you do your job, you leave, you get your pay. But if you look at that company and understand that it belongs to me, you have a totally different mindset. We must focus on the prize because the prize leads to discipline. Paul says in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth, but we an imperishable. We think in these uh, Roman games, these Olympic games, that they just kind of went out and competed, right? Because they didn't have training and they didn't have all of the technology we have, but that's absolutely not true. They understood back then as we do now that in order to compete at your highest level, it requires rigorous training. Paranasius, an ancient writer, reports that athletes and their trainers participate in the, in the Olympic Games, swore an oath upon slices of boar's flesh that in nothing will they sin against the Olympic Games. The athletes take this further oath also that for 10 successive months, they have strictly followed the regulations for training. Athletes are set apart for more rigid training to apply themselves to the building up of strength. They are urged on. They are subjected to torturous tolls when they are worn out. The more strenuously they have exerted themselves, the greater is their hope of victory. So Paul says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Imagine if this was your marathon plan. I figure I'm just going to run around the track until I feel good, you know, and then the next day, well, if my body's feeling okay, I'll run some more. How, how long are you going to run? For how, 
many miles. I don't know. I'll just figure it out, right, as I go. That's a pretty bad plan, right? Right now, you can go on, and if you get a marathon plan and what time you want to try to get, you'll get an entire, you know, nine-month training plan of what you're supposed to be doing every day. Paul says, I'm not boxing, just aimlessly swinging, beating the air. Now, if you're going to be in a boxing competition, you know, kind of shadow boxing, I guess there is some point to that. But at some point, you actually have to get in the ring, don't you? You actually have to train going different rounds with different people as you build up your stamina and strength and skill. See, what Paul is saying is that we've got to train. We've got to be focused. Now, a big race is just an accumulation in the end of a lot of little daily races that you have already run. Right? The training plan. Go, run a mile. Then the next day, run two miles. And run it at this pace and this speed. So by the time you get to that final race, you've already run hundreds of races, daily races. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us, you've got to start running. Every day, there is a race to run. See, sometimes we think, one day, I'm going to do something big for Jesus. Right? After I've done all these other things, then I'm going to get serious. Next week. Next month. But Paul is saying it's today. See, the problem in the church all too often is that we're spectating and we're not running. Let me give you a couple of elements of your training plan. If you want to run the race every day, we talk in our purpose about what it means in our vision, in our connect card to make mature and equipped disciples used by God to transform their families, this community and world beyond. That's what we're all about. I'm going to give you three marks of a mature and equipped disciple. Number one, they're motivated by grace. We've been talking about the prize But mature and equipped disciples have learned to keep the prize in front of them. To preach the gospel to themselves. To analyze and watch their hearts. To make sure that Jesus Christ has preeminence. If you boil down your life, the why of why I'm getting up in the morning and living my life, Is it a life that's motivated by the grace of Jesus Christ? It's the most powerful thing that we have. Number two, a mature disciple lives under the direction of God's word. The Bible says, don't just listen to the word, but do what it says. Second Timothy 316, all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking and training in righteousness. God has given us a plan. And that plan is to follow his word. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And you can boil down God's commandments, God's training plans to two simple phrases. Love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. 
But what does it mean to love God with all of your heart? Jesus said very clearly, the one who obeys my commands, he is the one who loves me. If I want to love God, the way that I love him is by loving the things that he loves. I obey his word. Is my life a life of obedience and careful adherence to how Jesus has called me to live? And love your neighbor as yourself. Whether that's in the church. See, the problem with the Corinthians, they're spectating. They really didn't want to be bothered by each other. And Paul was saying, serve one another. It's when you participate and show up in hospitality. When you teach our kids. When you do works of mercy and justice. One of the things we've been doing, the the team, the Mercy and Justice team has been doing is helping out a woman and her grown autistic son, Crystal. And through the efforts of that team, and specifically, I want to point out the Robertsons who have given, Patrick and Anna, really cared for this woman. This woman is now in an apartment that is furnished. I was over there yesterday bringing some furniture and she needed to go to the store and she said she needed to pick up just a couple of things well she had food stamps and so an hour and a half later I'm sitting in the car Fardy brought over the furniture I'm sitting in the car you know when it's all said and done probably about three and a half hours and there are a lot of places I'd like to be on Saturday for three and a half hours but this woman needs our help And if we don't do it, who will? Christ calls us to serve one another. We are our neighbor's keeper. Let us serve one another in the church and also outside of the church. Am I living a life? I have my bubble. And as long as I have my bubble and you don't come in my bubble, I won't go out of my bubble and everything's fine. But there are people out there that do not know the grace of Jesus Christ that are searching and continually banging their head against the wall, trying to find satisfaction in things that will never, ever satisfy. Am I willing to get to know them and their stories? Am I willing to invite them to come play pickleball with me? Am I willing to go where they are and build bridges with the hope that one day they would ask me, what is it about you? Why do you love this one called Jesus Christ? A mature disciple is motivated by grace, lives under the direction of God's word, and finally, and I'll close with this, lives under the power of the Holy Spirit. We may be in this race, but there is one who called us into the race, and there is one who's leading us in it. Jesus Christ, who through his Holy Spirit lives in us, he is the one that provides the power and direction to run the race. Without him, we will not finish. Without him, we will run in the opposite direction. The Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. Save for Christ. And he is in us and we are in him. And there's a reason it's called being led by the Holy Spirit. In order to be led by someone, you have to say you're in charge. My autonomy, I surrender. You're the king. 
I submit to you and depend on you. You know, that first time when I failed the Marine Corps, I decided to go on and try again. But I realized that I was trying to do it all on my own. And so I enlisted two friends to train with me and run with me. One would run the first 13 miles and the other would run the second. And those two friends of mine were the ones that got me across the line. When I was staggering, when I was faltering, one literally ran a couple of steps in front of me, pointing down at the ground, saying, right here, right here, right here. I did not have the energy to do it alone. But with him, I finished and qualified a minute to spare for the Boston Marathon. See, we have two who are running with us the Holy Spirit, and each other. And we're called into the only race in the end that matters. The only proper response to Christ's devotion to us is wholehearted devotion to him. So give him your heart and run with perseverance the race marked out for you day by day. For if you give him your heart, you will finish and get the prize. Let's pray. God, help us to see the beauty of you and your son and the gift that you call us heavenward in Christ Jesus, the kingdom of heaven. God, let it dominate our thoughts and let us run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on you, Jesus, who runs right in front of us, spurring us on. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.